Hey everybody, Pastor Nathan here. What you're about to listen to is a conversation between three pastors. We introduce ourselves, I'll, I'll leave it for the podcast, but this is meant to give you a little bit of separation and reprieve from the world. Uh, it's always busy. It seems December, Christmas season every year gets even busier. Uh, and so we wanted to record this and let you listen in on a conversation to give you some time away from the world with God. Hopefully it leaves you with peace and comfort. I know as we recorded it, it was incredibly encouraging for me. And so I pray it is the same for you. So without further ado, here's the conversation. If you want to grab a Bible and open up to Isaiah 64, feel free to do that. Otherwise, just listen away. God bless you. I'm Nathan Lairsh. I serve at Illumin Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Been here for uh, 14 months since October 2019. I'm Josh Schultz. I'm the pastor out at Mountain View Lutheran Church in Great Falls, Montana. And I've been here since the summer of 2017, for so about three and a half years now. Matt Rothy, pastor at the Way Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. This church started back in 2016. Fun fact, do you guys know when we first met? Basketball camp. 1999, grade school basketball camp. 21 years ago. Wow. Going into fifth grade. Yeah. And then we went to that basketball camp for four years together, and that was only the summers. But then starting in ninth grade, we went to school together for 12 years straight. Why did you guys want to do this podcast together, especially during the season of Advent? I know for me, I had, uh, I had people, whether they, they weren't able to make it to church or just have more online content and then, uh, having some a supplement to our Bible study at our church. It's just like, Hey, you know, more and more people listen to podcasts. It's why don't we give, you know, somebody just an opportunity to, uh, dive into God's word might not be interactive, but it'll be interactive between the three of us and just, uh, to rest in God's word, especially as they get ready for Christmas. Yeah, to give people a, an opportunity to, whenever they do have time or the opportunity, to kind of listen in on a conversation. Three other people talking about talking about God's good word. Yeah, that's it. I think there's no other season like Advent uh, to renew your devotional life and your personal time studying God's word. And so as pastors, I, I think that's something that I always try to do during this time of year. And for, I do it for myself personally, but if there's any way we can help other people do that as we prepare to celebrate Christ's birth, that's what this is all about. So the text that we're talking about today is Isaiah chapter 64. I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then I want to hear your guys' thoughts uh, on this on this text. So this is Isaiah chapter 64. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking to the Lord. He said, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you're angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. 
No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. This is the word of God. It's nice. There's something about just hearing someone read God's word to you. Mm-hmm. And maybe I speak for all of us, like we don't, we don't get that a lot as pastors. So mm-hmm. thanks, Matt. Nate, I listened to the sermon that you preached on this and you very helpfully pointed out that it was a prayer. And that is certainly uh, what Isaiah is doing. Uh, is it okay to pray a prayer like this? Essentially he's saying, God, do something. Right. And especially when you talk about like verse one, like he's literally, literally playing, like saying, come right now, rip, rend the heavens, rip open the heavens and just literally end it all right now and take care of your enemies. Take us home to heaven, fix it. (laughs) I think sometimes our natural inclination is to say, no, we shouldn't just cry out like this because that's what he's doing. He's just like throwing up his hands and saying, what in the world is happening? It's all wrong. God, where are you? God, you're not doing anything. And I'm not in Isaiah's mind, but you got to think that was, if it wasn't a thought in the back of his mind, if I were to pray this prayer right now to God, it would be a thought in the back of my mind. Like, God, where are you? What's what's going on? This isn't right. Um, And so I think our first inclination is to say, no, this really isn't the type of prayer we should pray at least all that often. What would it sound like if we did? I think it'd sound like the Bible because they're all over the place in the Bible. (laughs) Here, Psalms, they're all over the place. These kind of prayers. Yeah. Calling, Calling on God to do what we believe that he can do. Well, and that's just it. It's calling on God to make good on promises that you know that he has expressed in his word. And that is just what Isaiah is doing. He's not asking God to do something that he's never said he's going to do before. He's appealing to his promises and to his word. And I think that's perhaps the most beautiful part of like the Lord's Prayer is that it just over and over again demonstrates to us, uh, here are the promises of God, speak them back to him. I think for me, when when someone comes to me and they're lamenting, because we've kind of all talked about how this prayer is a lament, which I I think the dictionary defines it a, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And I know when one of my people comes to me in, in lament, it's my first inclination, and I'm I'm telling myself maybe it shouldn't be. My first inclination is to. Do, look on the bright side of things and point them to one or a bunch of God's promises. Um, and I, maybe I'll throw it to you guys. Should I do that? Why should oh, yeah. I do that? I think too, as, as a pastor, the first thing we want to do is like give people an answer, right? We want to give people a, a gospel promise to their grief. I mean, which is a good place to come from but at the same time, you know, when you talk about how biblical this is to just, let it happen. Just let the lament, lament linger. Let the grief, uh, let them feel what they feel. Let them, you know, pour out their heart. Cause really isn't that what, that's what Isaiah is doing. He's just pouring out his heart to God and to give them the opportunity as a, not just a pastor, but a brother in Christ to just sit and listen with them and pray with them about it and just keep it at that. And don't, 
don't jump to the promise because you know the promise is going to come and this prayer is based on the promise but just uh let them let it out yeah i think that's a really important point josh because there's the tendency whether it's pastors or just like a christian friend when someone you love is going through a difficulty to say oh no here's the good right um but to be okay with that yeah let me give you the silver lining it's like yeah. this way there's none of that here mm-hmm. is there a line for how much lament is too much lament or can we define what what kind of lamenting is good what kind of lamenting is bad is is there that line do they exist i think this is something i've heard from two pastors i i really admire uh differentiating the the idea of what a biblical or a christian lament looks like nate you gave the dictionary definition before you said what that it's sorrow that it's an expression or a verbalizing of grief that that you feel and i think the the biblical understanding of it is that it is all of those things. It is grief. It is sorrow, especially grief and sorrow over sin. And yet it isn't just this event session. Um, It isn't just this like spewing of feelings, but it's directing them to somebody. Um, It's directing them to God and it's directing them to God, not out of, uh, not out of, unbelief, but out of faith that God can do something with what you're expressing to him. Uh, those, those same pastors, I, I heard them comment on this, that a lament is a profound expression of faith because it trusts that God, who you're pouring this out to, actually can do something with what you're saying to him. Uh, I think oftentimes we think of like venting or pouring out our feelings. It's just getting it out there. So it's not, it's not being like held in anymore. But the important differentiation between a inappropriate lament if you will is that it's just turned in on yourself that it's it's about you and your feelings but a biblical lament is one that is poured out to god a christian lament one that that you and i and all the people listening can have christian people can have is is a lament where they pour out their very real feelings of the heartache that they're feeling the verbalization over the agony and the grief that they have over their sins or sin at large, like Isaiah, but they're directing it to God, trusting and knowing that this God can do something with it. So I had not heard that definition before, profound expression of faith. And so I'm just reacting to it in real time here. I think that is going to be very helpful to me and for me personally, and for me as I, talk with and counsel other people who are lamenting or in grief and sorrow and directing it, directing it to God. And then it's a, it's an expression of faith. Cause if you're directing a lament to God, in a sense, it's a proof that you have faith. Cause if you didn't have faith, you would just be directing it all to yourself. You might say, but if mm-hmm. it's directed to God, you know, now I'm wondering if someone, if as far as I can tell, someone is, sincerely directing it to God, would I ever tell them, okay, you need to stop lamenting now? I, I don't know. I don't know that I'd ever be able to say, okay, you need to stop now. If someone is crying out to God, cause you look at Isaiah and I mean, this is chapter 64 of his book and here he is pouring it out. When I heard that, the, that idea of lamentation being commented on, it was with Job's 
uh, lamenting in his book. And there you might say, hey, he, he's saying wrong or he's speaking ill against God. That maybe is where you draw the line, Nathan, is if someone is speaking uh, wrongly about God or to to God, but even to like, let's say I'm angry about sin done to me or sin going on. And I pour that out to God and yeah, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting frustrated, but I'm being real with the realest God that there is. Is that wrong? I don't think so. Right. If you really want to know what a lament is, go read that book called Lamentations. Um, I know it just, it just came out to me of, it just came across in my devotion plan that I just went through lamentations. And then when you talk about a biblical lament, so you really want to dive deep into a lament, just go read lamentations and understand the context of it, of Jeremiah, just watching the fall of Jerusalem and the exile. It's just like that right there with, with what he just witnessed. Uh, that right there is a biblical lament. Can you say more about the context of the Isaiah passage that we just read? Yeah, so it's, if you look at the broad, the big, the wide view of the history of Israel, right? God was their, their God and they were his people, but there is that downward spiral of their spiritual state. And again and again and again, they turned away from God. They turned to idols. And a lot of that had to do with their wicked kings and false prophets who came. Uh, and they started worshiping Baal. And God warned them again and again to come back to him, but they wouldn't. He gave them so many chances. And then finally, uh, the northern kingdom fell when God sent the nation of Assyria and carried them off in exile. And that's when this is written with Isaiah. right after that happened. And then Isaiah is saying to the southern kingdom, Judah and Jerusalem, they're saying, hey, the same thing is going to happen to you if you don't, you don't repent and turn back to God. And that was Isaiah's ministry. But in the midst of that ministry, right, people wouldn't listen. Uh, uh, God talks about, or Isaiah talks about hearts being hard, right, at the end of chapter 63. And so um, Isaiah is prophesying and telling God's people that the Babylonians are coming, the same fate is going to happen to you. And he's lamenting over that too, because he knows it's going to happen, but he's, and he knows God is just and right in doing that but he's still lamenting over what Jeremiah witnessed and what we see in Lamentations, the destruction of his own people, his own city, uh, the temple. And so as he speaks this, he's not only uh, lamenting over the unbelief of the Israelites, but he's also lamenting over just how broken the world is that God, it has to come to this point um, that God just has to wipe them off the face of the earth or send them off to Babylon. It's kind of like, I think, I think in Isaiah and Jeremiah, and I think in Noah, you know, Noah knowing the destruction is coming with the flood. And it's just like, nobody's happy about it, even if God is just and right about it. Um, but it's lamenting that this is how far it's come. It boggles my mind to, you know, you talk about the people's hearts being hard, Josh. Like when God called Isaiah, he told him, yeah, the people aren't going to listen to you. And, mm -hmm. and actually your job is to speak my words and my words are going to callous people even further than they already are. You know, they've turned away from me so many times. I, I just can't imagine it, you know, right. God didn't we, come to us and, and tell right. us what we were going to be doing specifically and how the people were going to react. But like, imagine if he did, that would be, mm -hmm. 
but he hasn't said that, but we were talking earlier, like there's a danger in just thinking, Oh yeah, I'm like Isaiah. The world is, you know, the world is just going to pieces and there's danger in, in just lamenting over society or culture and how post-Christian you might say it is. What's the danger? I think I know where you're going, Nate, but what is it? Say it. Well, I'd say it's two twofold. Like number one, you can lose hope and say, ah, oh, you know, forget this. What's the point of doing ministry? What's the point of even caring about God's word? You know, no one's going to believe anyways. Um, and then the second, and maybe ooh, I, if we tried to rank these, I, I don't know how I'd come out, but the second danger I think is we end up thinking the problems all out there and forget that like, I'm not perfect mm. and there's problem in me too, which, and we see Isaiah move from that from verses one through four. And then I think in verse five, it is where he flips into saying, Oh, Oh yeah. I continued. We continued to sin against you too, God. So I, th- those are two dangers I see. Yeah. I don't know if, no. if you want to talk about which one is worse or, or not. I don't well, know. I, I see them as like two ditches, right? Like one is a sense of despair and the other is a sense of arrogance, right? Like either I despair that it's not worth it to, you know, let my light shine as a Christian to, to, to go out and you know share Christ with others um, because who who's even going to listen? Who's even going to care anyways? I'm just going to be, you know, persecuted for my faith. And the other side is what you described that I, I think the problem is all out there that I'm fine. I'm good. Um, I got this figured out, but it's everybody else in the world around me that, you know, is fallen pieces. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I think that's something that Christians maybe tend towards, not that any Christians tend towards one or the other. I'm sure we go back and forth between these two, but I think through my preaching, you guys, I think a lot of times maybe I'm guilty of talking about sin as though it's something that happens out there, outside the walls of these churches, instead of saying, no, the, the, the sin happens in our hearts. And you see that, I mean, if you just sit down and read through it, I mean, you just see that transition where, you know, as Isaiah's right, and it's like he's catching himself, right? As he looks at the brokenness of the world and like verse one and two, and he's talking about what he wants God to do about it. And as he goes in, he's like, wait a minute, right? This is me too. And especially when he talks in verse six, I mean, the when, when he really talks about us, he says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And there he's speaking directly to the believer, right? All of our righteous acts, the good, the good we do to, to serve God and love our neighbor. It's like even those, even those are so twisted and stained by sin. And uh, yeah, when we talk about Advent of God coming and the necessity of repenting, uh, Isaiah is really bringing that out here. That's why this is such a good text to focus on, you know, in that season of Advent, getting ready for Jesus to celebrate his first coming, uh, but then most importantly, getting ready for him to come again. Yeah, say more about how this sets the sets the context and really sets us on a good on a good footing for the entire season of Advent. This is the historic. Right. Uh, Old Testament lesson for the first Sunday in Advent. How does this set us up for what Advent is all about? Maybe 
maybe say what Advent is for uh, generally. Right, Advent. I mean, Advent. I mean, typically. I mean, we, we typically think like Advent is getting ready for Christmas, and we think like that because in our life, our busyness, um, we're all getting ready for Christmas. Like uh, my family and I, we just went down up in the mountains to cut down a Christmas tree. People go to set up their tree. They put up the decorations to get all their plans ready. So everybody's mindset throughout the week is getting ready for Christmas and they come on Sunday and rightfully and understandably. So it's like, all right, we're getting ready for, for baby Jesus to come. And we are, but more than anything, we're getting ready for Jesus to come a second time. Right. Cause we don't, we're not waiting for Christmas to happen. Christmas already happened, right? We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. Most importantly, we're getting ready for Jesus to come again. And I think that's why I'm really excited for us to continue to use our Old Testament lessons for these Sundays, specifically in the book of Isaiah. Because when I see Advent of how our focus is on the Old Testament, and I just have tended in the last two or three years to preach on the Old Testament text in Isaiah, is because we use these to, we, we use their faith, like the faith of Isaiah, as he looked ahead to the first coming of Christ, we use his faith that he's displaying here as an example to us that helps shape our faith of how we are to look ahead to the second coming of Christ. Um, so that's why I really love diving into Isaiah, and I'm glad we uh, picked these lessons to to wrestle with and preach on and talk about here on the podcast. Yeah. I'm excited about that too. Cause I think, you know, what you talked about just happening between, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas as a, it's, like, it's, a, it's such a switch. It's a flip, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It's such a microcosm of what like real, real life is actually going on. Right. Because we're such like onto the next thing kind of people, like as soon as Christmas gets done, we want to, you know, excuse me, as soon as Thanksgiving gets done, we want to start playing the Christmas music, put up our lights and we want it to be Christmas. Um, <laughs> my three-year-old <laughs> the next morning, uh, <laughs> on, <laughs> on Friday, he said, is today Christmas? Today, are we celebrating Christmas? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, that's great. That's super cute. But no, it's Advent starting Sunday. And, uh, you know, I didn't explain that to him or even try, but I think, you know, even adults, that's, that's where we're at, right? How soon can we start playing Christmas music? And we're just always looking forward to it. And what Advent does and what this text in Isaiah most importantly does and God's word does is it slows us down and it makes us think about, um, our lives and our relationship with Christ and what it means that he's coming again. And, we haven't explicitly said said it, but what are we left to do when we look ahead to Christ coming back? How is it that we prepare for a second coming? I'll try to speak to that and and just getting like where this lesson fits in with the first Sunday, you know, leading up towards Christmas. And as we look ahead to Jesus' second coming, we kind of all touched on it. How we can when we think about the world and the state of it and the state of ourselves. If, if it's about us, we tend to either end up despairing or being arrogant. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's about, if this is a lament that's directed to God, and if it's about him, and if, if Advent and Christmas is less about us and what we're doing and how we're celebrating and how we're preparing and more about who God is, um, that's what keeps us out of despair because our eyes are focused on him and it also keeps us from arrogance 
again, for the same reason, because our eyes are on him. And Isaiah, like in this section, you know, and we kind of arbitrarily cut it off at verse eight and the people who have gone before us cut it off at verse eight. But where does he finish? He's talking about the world. He talks about himself and he's lamenting about all that. And then he says, yet, Lord, you are our father. And isn't that that's like, where he brings it, that's where he brings you, it to a close. Like when you look at this, I mean, in our Bible study, uh, this past Sunday, we, you know, instead of going through it in a flow, we divided it into, um, long gospel. Right. And we read through the verses, we looked at the law aspects and then we looked at the gospel aspects of it. And, you know, explicitly there's not a lot of explicit gospel as far as like direct reference uh, to Jesus here. And we can get into that of how when you dig deeper, there's a lot of gospel, but yet, yet, um, no pun intended there with verse eight. That's exactly when we take our eyes off of the brokenness of the world and we fix them back on God, oh, only good things are going to happen in our hearts. And that's what the season of Advent is all about. What's your favorite gospel comfort in this section? Cause you're right. It's not, um, it's a lament. Um, What's most encouraging for you or what encouragement would you most like to share from this section? I would just say the, the thrust of this whole prayer is verse one, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and, you know, wearing the shoes of Isaiah, he just, all he wanted was God to come down and fix it. Right. Take care of it. You know, strike fear in the hearts of your enemies. And most importantly, let your enemies know who you are. God, he doesn't just want them to be destroyed. He wants them to know like he knows who God is. And it's just, just this prayer of, of hope that God, I know you've promised it and I want it to happen sooner rather than later for you to come down. And his heart longs for God to come down from heaven to earth. And it's just the gospel there. That's exactly what Jesus did, right? Jesus came down to make himself God known to his enemies. Um, he came down to fix it. And when we talk about our, you know, in our worship series and sermon series, hopes and fears, um, we talked about this in our, our Bible study. It's just like, think of any fear that you could ever have ever. Jesus conquers it. I, I could guarantee I can find a passage or an aspect about Christ and what he did and how he conquered that fear. Think of any hope that you could ever have. And Jesus fulfills that hope. Or if it's an earthly um, from a human standpoint, earthly hope, Jesus, oh, he's got so much more waiting for you to give you more hope. And uh, just that verse one of God coming down from heaven, that's the gospel right there. That's exactly what God did for us. That's what you see in the manger. Part of me wants to say, great last words, Josh. <laughs> but I'll, oh, there's, more maybe here, this is right? the, there's more here, There's more. Well, I mean, I, I, I was maybe going to, say this might just be the easy way out, but there's not, like we said, there's not a lot of explicit answers in it because it's a lament, it's a prayer, but knowing that whatever it is that I'm lamenting or, you know, the person who's listening to this is lamenting at any point in their life, no matter what it is, or, you know, to use the title, no matter what their fear is to every single lament or every single fear. And you, you already said this, Josh, basically, but God is the answer in one way or another. And for us to explore all the ways that he's the answer is like, that's, that's ours more, but um, that whatever we're pouring out, whatever we're lamenting, the answer is that God came down at Christmas verse one, he's going to come down again and it's going to be wonderful. 
And verse eight, yet, you know, no matter what, you're our father, Lord, our perfect father. Mm-hmm. Matt, you got a favorite? I do. And I'm going to cheat. I'm, I'm going to have two. I'm going to combine two lines from this very poetic prayer. Um, verse three starts out, it says, for when you did awesome things that we did not expect. Um, and just that idea of the unexpected nature of God, first of all, how, how else can we describe his grace as undeserved or unexpected love, mercy, forgiveness, joy, that he gives to his people. Um, everything he does is unexpected. Who could have expected that he would send his son to be born of a virgin and to be born in you know such a lowly manner? That's how he came to us. He came in an unexpected way. And I'll include with that also, uh, how else does he come? Well, we've been talking about two comings of Christ during uh, during Advent, right? That we're that we celebrate or look forward to. One, his the coming at his birth; the other, the coming at his judgment. There's a third one, right? That he comes to us still. He comes to us in his Word and his sacrament, and we celebrate. We we rejoice in his coming still to this day to us, and we remember that and emphasize that in this season. And how how else does he come? He comes with the whisper of his word. That's so unexpected. He comes to us in common things, water with his word, his body and blood with bread and wine. That's how he comes to us. And it's so unexpected. And I'm just tying this into to my second part, um, which is in the very next verse in verse four, you know, since the ancient times, no one has ever heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you. And who could think of these things? Who could, who could, in his wisdom, give such good gifts in such common, common ways? Um, I haven't thought of it. No, no one has heard of it. And we didn't expect it. And yet this is our God. This is what he does. He's there for us. I think um, Isaiah's right. Well, what Isaiah wants more than anything else is God, God to be here under his presence. He wants him to come down and, and, you know, in such a visible and vivid and awesome way. And I think too, as we get ready for Advent, I don't know, whoever is listening to this, um, this might be a situation for you, but everybody knows that Christmas for some is the loneliest time of the year, right? Of, you know, you might not be looking forward to it because, and especially during COVID, right? When if things go as they continue to go, we're not going to be gathering like we used to. It can be, could turn out to be a pretty lonely time this Christmas. Um, and that's, Isaiah felt lonely. He just wanted God to come down. And exactly what you just said, Matt, um, if you want God's presence here and now, uh, you don't just have to wait for when Jesus comes back. Uh, you can have it right here as you listen to it, as God speaks to you in his word, as we uh, digest and discuss that word that God is here with us right now. And he's going to continue to be with you as we uh, focus on his word throughout the season of Advent. We're, we're, I don't know if we mentioned it already, but our series is called The Hopes and Fears. And we took that series title from the last line of the first verse of a little town of Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And that captures so well, um, you know, what, what you just said, what we've been talking about throughout all of this, our, our theme for this first week 
uh, in this series was God imparts to human hearts. And that again is a line taken from a little town of Bethlehem in the second verse. Um, Josh, what you, what you said about this kind of being a different time, a different season in life for a lot of people, uh, the holidays often statistically a lonelier time of year for people, but even more so now I, I can't imagine, um, you know, what it's, what it's going to be like. Right. Um, but you look at that verse two of a little town of Bethlehem and just the beautiful poetic way it puts it, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift of giving. So God imparts to human hearts, the blessings of heaven. No ear may hear is coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive them still, the dear Christ enters in. It's not, it's not going to be this big flash. It's not going to be the greatest time in your life. It's not going to be this magnificent celebration. And yet Amen. he comes. He comes in this world of sin. He comes in your loneliness. He comes in your fear. And he imparts to human hearts the blessings of heaven. God, oh, that you would come down, rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that everyone would see you for exactly who you are. Oh, that we uh, would see you for exactly who we are. We believe in you. Uh, you've given us faith in you as our Lord and Savior. Um, and our prayer tonight and for this whole Advent season and really forever, for however long you keep us here on this earth, is that we would see you for exactly who you are. We praise you for coming down at Christmas. We praise you for coming down to what... Um, for us is the future um, at the end of the world. And we praise you for coming down to us each and every day through your word. Uh, give each of us and anyone listening the strength and discipline and the, the blessing of, of hearing from you in your word uh, each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.